we poor? Shared stories of single mothers struggling to overcome poverty and adversity by using their wit, grit, and just refusing to quit. So get your earbuds on and join us in this Me Too movement mashup of mothers, actors who play them, lawyers who represent them, and theater professionals who are telling Chelsea's story on stage. To inspire mothers around the world to live boldly and instill greatness in their children. Hello and welcome to the Mommy Are We Poor podcast. I'm Richard Ravosa, your host, and today we have as a guest on our show, attorney Megan Hurley. Uh, Megan is a pro bono bankruptcy attorney in Boston, Massachusetts, and she's going to be answering some questions about how bankruptcy can help to alleviate poverty. Uh, Megan is a pro bono attorney for the Massachusetts Debt Relief Foundation. It's a nonprofit a law firm in Boston that helps low-income residents of Massachusetts file for Chapter 7 bankruptcy. Uh, Megan, are you there? Yes. Hi. Thank you for having me. Thank you for coming. Uh, now, I have your mission statement. I'm, I'm going to read it uh, uh, to the audience. Uh, our mission is to improve the quality of life for people who are unduly burdened with excessive debt by providing compassionate and effective pro bono legal representation in order to eliminate debt and restore peace of mind. Uh, did I state that correctly? Yes, that's exactly right. It was perfect. Tell our callers and our audience what that means to you, what that mission sta- statement means to the organization and to your clients. Sure. Um, Well, our mission is just to first make sure that uh, potential clients even know that this resource is available. A lot of lower income don't even know what their options are. Um, They assume hiring a lawyer is outside of their means. Um, So we just want to reach those that even need our help in the first place. And then when we are able to help someone, we just want to do it with empathy and compassion. Um, You know, we're equals in the action to get rid of their debt. Um, We're not, you know, telling them what to do or anything. We're really empowering these families to take care of their finances and move forward stronger financially. And how long have you been doing this? Our organization um, was first started in June of 2011. Um, So over 10 years, well, just it will be 10 years soon in a month or two, actually. Big year this year, 10 year anniversary. (laughs) That's right. Yeah. Big deal. Yeah. So getting to single mothers specifically, uh, what are the burdens of excessive debt for single mothers like Chelsea? Sure. Um, Well, a lot of single mothers or single parents um, may not have always been single parents. Um, So they went from a two-income household to a one-income household. So that is a shift. Or If they were always doing it on their own, they were maybe receiving child support intermittently. Um, So we see a lot of changes in income uh, that can affect someone's ability to maintain debt. Um, But also single parents have to deal with all of the responsibility of taking care of their children at the same time of dealing with their finances. So there's a lot of time constraints in terms of child care, after school care, children's medical needs. We have a lot of uh, clients who have children with special needs. And so 
you know, they really don't have a lot of time to tackle all of their other problems in their life. Um, so I think that's one of the biggest burdens in addressing the issue in the first place. Sure. Do you, do you find it uh, or do single mothers find it difficult to schedule appointments with you sometimes? Absolutely. You know, we have to do it around their school. Um, you know, I've had clients bring their children because of the pandemic. All, a lot of the kids have been zooming into school. So I had a client and her young daughter was on her school Zoom at the end, their end of the conference table while we were going over things. Um, and also, you know, it can be hard for the child to be in the room, I think, when their parent is talking about something that's so emotional and stressful, and I'm sure they pick up on that. So I think that's all very hard for everyone involved. Sure, sure. So in your view, what is the relationship between debt relief and peace of mind? Uh, well, they're completely intermingled because um, when just imagine living with debt, living with the uncertainty of all these bills over your head, um, creditor calls, they're not the nicest phone calls in the world. Um, and just basically you're living in a constant state of fear of what's going to happen next, right? The unexpected. Um, and that trickles down to every area of your life. And it also trickles down to the children. There's been studies on how it affects the kids' emotional well-being when their parents are living in debt. It affects marriages, you know, everything that you could imagine. Um, so the minute that they don't owe anything anymore, it's like the light switch, basically. The peace that comes is just immediate. Um, you basically you have clients that tell me that they can now think about the future. They can now hope. And it is such a sense of relief uh, getting rid of your debt. And that's after the case is over, uh, that they feel that sense of relief. Actually, before, I think a lot of people feel relief even just picking up the phone and talking to us, just making a plan, knowing that you're addressing it. That's really going to make you feel better immediately. Um, but then the real sense of relief, I think, comes probably after the meeting, when you case you have a court meeting about a month later. And that's the biggest, you know, event of the case and so when that's over you really feel like you're done you know technically they won't get a discharge for another two months after that but it's just a sit and wait situation um but i think yeah the first initial sense of relief really just comes from talking to us and knowing that it's getting addressed that there's going to be something down the line that will take care of it sure so when you meet with people for the first time have you ever encountered someone who is depressed or just uh, in in the dumps about their finances? I think they're pretty much always that way. Um, no one's happy to be coming to us. We're not the person they want to ever talk to. Um, you know, there's definitely different levels of stress um, and depression associated with it, um, especially given what caused the debt, you know. Um, so it's always a sensitive subject, certainly, that's why we try and treat everyone with compassion and understanding. Um, but yes, I think absolutely nearly everyone I've talked to is in some sense of unhappiness. And not just because of the debt, but it is usually a big contributing factor. Yeah. So in your view, when should someone reach out to a bankruptcy attorney for a, for a consultation? Uh, how soon should they do that? I mean, I think it doesn't hurt if you have any questions about your bills. If you are not able to maintain your payments or you're just making the minimums on payments, 
Um, if you have any questions, it doesn't hurt to talk to someone, you know, uh, especially if it's a free consultation. Um, you may not need a bankruptcy. There's also lots of solutions to avoid it. You know, if you just change your budget around or maybe um, you can refinance your debt. So it always information out ahead of a problem, I think. So I think if you ever have something in your head where you think, oh, I have a question about this, well, just pick up the phone. It doesn't hurt to talk to somebody. Right. And you offer, like many attorneys, a free consultation. Is that correct? Yes, we will talk to absolutely anyone who contacts us for free. So getting to, to bankruptcy itself, how long does a bankruptcy take? So, again, that depends on the client. It depends on how quickly they're able to get information to us. In order to file a bankruptcy, you have to prepare a petition, which is a long document, and we're required under the law to get evidence of what we put on the petition. So we need evidence of income, of assets, bank accounts, vehicles, and whatnot. So that all takes time. It depends on how quickly they're able to get documents to us. Sometimes they have limitations in terms of technology, um, you know, making copies of things or how they're going to email or fax it to us. So all of that contributes, um, or if they have to send away for a copy, you know, if they don't have a 401k statement, so they have to call the company and ask for one. But once we have everything and we review it with the client, then we can file pretty quickly. And then it's about three and a half to four months from the date of filing to close. They'll have your their court meeting about a month later, and then two months after that is when they'll get their discharge. Okay, so you mentioned earlier that a petition is prepared. Who prepares that petition? Uh, the client's attorney or I or whoever is working on the case prepares the petition. So um, for our organization, I prepare the petitions for the clients. Okay, so it sounds like the client gets you the information and you prepare the petition. That's exactly right. Okay. In in terms of what happens when a bankruptcy is filed, let's say someone is stressed out, their car's about to be repossessed in two days, can they come to you to stop that repossession? So what happens when a bankruptcy is filed? Yes, they can. Um, so when you file a bankruptcy, no matter what chapter, there's something called an automatic stay, which automatically instantly protects you um, from any action that would be considered an attempt to collect a debt. So that includes repossessing a car, a wage garnishment, sending a bill, anything that could be considered an attempt to collect a debt. So even though it's an immediate protection, you still have to notify the creditor in question because they're not going to know. They're not psychic. Um, and it takes time for the court to mail out notice. So if there's an emergency situation, we can file an emergency bankruptcy and then provide notice of the bankruptcy to the appropriate people so they're aware that they're protected by the court and can no longer move to you know, repossess the vehicle. And that's got to be a stress relief right there. Oh, definitely. Yes. If we have someone in that situation, you know, they move to the head of the line. We do everything we can to get it done quickly um, to stop a wage garnishment or a court date or anything like that, because things like that are the most stressful situation, especially if you're going to lose your car. You need your car to get to work and take care of your children. So, of course. Sure. So at the end of the case, you mentioned a discharge. What is a bankruptcy discharge and what does it mean for your clients? Sure. A bankruptcy discharge is a court order that states that the client is no longer legally responsible for their debt. So no one can ask them to pay. They can't get any bills, no more collection calls. Um, so basically, they don't owe the debt anymore. Um, so that 
is the immediate relief. You know, they know that they can move on. They don't have to worry about, um, you know, dealing with all of those anymore. Um, so I think that's the biggest outcome that they're looking for. Um, there are certain types of debt that do not go away, of course. So student loans, that's a big one you hear about in the news. Mostly they don't go away in a bankruptcy. Some taxes, child support, you know, things like that. But otherwise, most debt will be gone. Wow. That's a big deal for somebody then. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, that's a, yeah. it's a pure, fresh start. Yeah. And in your time as a, a bankruptcy attorney, uh, does any one case or cases stand out in your legal career uh, that's a memorable case, that's a success story, something you can share uh, while maintaining the confidentiality of your client? Sure. We've had lots of amazing success stories of all different, um, you know, kinds. I had a client recently reach out and tell me um, that he was just approved for a mortgage and is buying a house. Um, you know, I've and this had is after client. bankruptcy? After bankruptcy, yes. Absolutely. Wow. wow. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and he wasn't filed, he was maybe filed maybe three or four years ago. So he reached out to me, um, just a couple of weeks ago to let me know. Um, I had another client reach out to me yesterday, actually. He sent me pictures of, of his puppy and you tell me he got a raise and he got a new apartment and it's just doing so great. So you always love to hear things like that. Um, or I have a client who she is a single mother of two and when she came to us, she had lost her job and struggled looking for work for several months and ended up living in a motel after being evicted and had her car repossessed. Basically, everything that you'd worry would happen um, happened to her. And then after we filed her bankruptcy, she got a new job. She was approved for housing. She moved her family in. The kids were into a better school. It was a complete 180, um, and she was just so happy and in such a much better place. I'll bet that is a success story. So congratulations to, to oh, both thank of you. you. Yes, she was very happy. So does everyone who contacts you file for bankruptcy? Is there a, a, a rule or a bright line, something you have to, to figure out before someone's eligible? Sure. There's a, there's a few considerations. Um, I would say about half of the people that contact us need a bankruptcy and qualify. Um, and then about a quarter would need a bankruptcy but don't qualify for our help. And then the rest, we give them other options that are more appropriate. Um, there's Sometimes there's cases where it's not a slam dunk either way. You know, they could possibly rearrange some things um, to avoid a bankruptcy, but also it wouldn't harm them if they filed bankruptcy. So then at the end of the day, it's their decision and how they want to proceed. Um, but there's certainly definitely people that contact us who can avoid it, um, or even it's not even recommended. Um, so everyone is specific. It depends on what their issues are, what they are trying to address, what their short-term goals are, and also what their long-term goals are. Um, so all of that definitely plays a factor. And that's something you discuss with the client at the consultation, I would imagine. Yes. Yeah. Uh, the first thing I always do when I talk to someone is ask you know, what questions they have, what they're looking to address, and then I try and ascertain what their goals are, and I look for any, you know, possible issues uh, in moving forward in or out of a bankruptcy. Wow. So it sounds like it's uh, fairly straightforward uh, on your end, as long as you have the information you need. Definitely. I absolutely think it's, yeah, usually we can have a game plan 
um, within 45 minutes of talking to someone, I have a good lay of the land and can advise them. Well, speaking of that, why don't you give out your phone number for all of the Massachusetts listeners, if you uh, are able to, let people know how they can contact you for a free consultation and, you know, see what you can do for them. Absolutely, yes. So we have two phone numbers. Our main phone number is 508-232-4633. And we also have a toll-free number, which is 866-831-0236. And if we're able to, we can do the consult right there. Or if not, we'll schedule a specific time to do it. And we can do consults over the phone, um, via video, like Zoom, or in person if they prefer. And those are... Absolutely free of charge. Yes, 100%. We do not charge anything. And you do not charge if someone qualifies for your services as well. Is that correct? Correct. Uh, If someone qualifies, we represent them pro bono or for free. Um, They may have to cover costs such as there's a court filing fee, which is currently $338 for a Chapter 7 case. If the person qualifies under the court's guidelines, we ask the judge to waive it. Um, but if they don't qualify, if their household income is above 150% of the poverty line, the court will not give them the waiver, so they would have to cover that. And similarly, there's two courses that everyone that files bankruptcy has to take. So if they qualify for the fee waiver of the court, they also qualify for a waiver of those courses. But if not, they'd have to cover that cost, and that's about between 15 to $50, depending on what company they go with. Okay. Still a lot cheaper than paying an attorney a legal fee on top of all those expenses. Absolutely. Uh, Yes, definitely. There's a lot of uh, talk out there about different chapters of bankruptcy. What what chapter are we referring to in in this discussion? We're talking about Chapter 7. There's two main chapters an individual might file under seven, which is called the liquidation chapter or chapter 13. Uh, Chapter 13 case would be appropriate if someone can afford it. A 13 is a payment plan bankruptcy, so you make payments to your creditors over three to five years. So there's an income test. So if they fail the income test, you're not allowed to file chapter seven because under the test, you can afford to maintain payments. Uh, Another reason why someone would file a 13, even if they pass the income test, is if there's an asset that they would lose in a Chapter 7 that they would like to keep, they can make payments instead and keep that asset. Or they can use the 13 to catch up on something, like a mortgage, for instance. If you're a year behind on your mortgage payments, you can catch up on those payments over a five-year period, so it's a much cheaper repayment plan. Um, Those are the main reasons why you would file a 13. But a lower-income individual would... very rarely need a Chapter 13. It's more appropriate for a Chapter 7. Okay. And someone filing a Chapter 7, let's take uh, most of your cases. Are are those people allowed to keep their cars? Yes, unless it's a very expensive car. There is a car exemption. um, And generally speaking, I can protect a car, especially if it has a loan against it. It's very unlikely it has much equity. Um, But yes, I could keep their car for them. Right, because they need to get to work, they need to get the kids around, so the car is an important uh, part of the case, I would imagine. It's very important. Unfortunately, the reason why they need something doesn't play a factor into whether or not they can keep it. It's all up to the exemptions that are available, but there is an exemption for the vehicle. Um, And not to get too technical, but there's also another exemption that we can use for any type of property that goes up to about you know, $13,000 and change. So again, unless the car is worth $50,000, there's no issue protecting it. 
And this is all something you can figure out before the case is filed. Is that right? Yes, there's no surprises. If there's something that is possibly exposed and can be reached by the trustee and possibly taken away from the client, I would tell them beforehand and they decide whether or not they want to move forward. I see. And in terms of just general advice, uh, what advice can you give or information can you pass along to people who are financially struggling today? What would you tell them? Uh, well, the first thing I would do is tell them to look at their bank statements and make a budget. Make sure they see where their money is going. Um, you know, there's different types of expenses. There's things you have to pay every month, like rent, things that fluctuate, like food, and things that maybe you can cut down on, like your cell phone bill. You can renegotiate and get it lowered. Um, so see if there's any changes you can make there. And then if you are negative at the end of the month, if you're, you know, relying on credit cards to make ends meet, then you might need to call someone like me to see if there's anything else that you can do to fix the situation. Um, and also another thing I would recommend is pull your credit report. Make sure you know everything that's out there, um, especially whether or not anything is in collection. If anything is wrong on your credit report, make sure you dispute it because that can help your credit. Um, really just gather as much information as you possibly can. That's the best advice I'd say to get started. Yeah. Terrific. So, does anyone ever call you and say, hey, Megan, I want to file bankruptcy, but I want to keep one credit card or two credit cards? What happens? They say that all the time. Um, you can't do that, unfortunately. When you file a bankruptcy case, it's all or nothing. Everyone you owe has to be treated equally, so it's not allowed to keep one credit card because it's not fair that one credit card gets to be paid off and the others don't. Um, so I say, I'm sorry, but you have to include it if you want the benefit of a discharge. Um, and even if they didn't include it by omission or what, for whatever reason, the credit card will see the bankruptcy and close the account. Um, and uh -huh. as soon as the credit card gets noticed the bankruptcy, they're still included. It's still going to be discharged. Okay. So how about secured cards? Can one of your clients get a secured card after the bankruptcy is over and closed? Um, I would never recommend doing that right away. I always recommend that they first try and focus on building up some savings. Um, but yes, if credit is one of their goals, that's a great way to build your credit back up. Um, another method is if they have a lien that survived the bankruptcy, like a car loan, they can make sure that their payments are being reported to the credit bureaus. And they'll probably have to self-report those, unfortunately, but I explain how to do that. And that can help build up their credit. If they have student loans in great, um, you know, position that are being paid on time, that's another way to build credit back up. There's lots of things you can do. I had a client who had a family member at her as a co-debtor on an account that she didn't even use or have access to, but her family member was paying it on time and in full, and her credit shot right up just being associated with that account. Um, but, yeah, if they have questions about building credit up, I'm happy to talk to them about that. That's terrific. Terrific. All good information. So you've seen a rehearsal of the play, Mommy, Are We Poor? You're familiar generally with Chelsea's situation. Uh, yeah. Without, without giving away the whole story, uh, how realistic is what Chelsea goes through in that play? It's very realistic. Um, you know, in terms of the debt that she's struggling with, she's trying to juggle so much, working two jobs. Um, she has, you know, creditors at her door notices, all of that can happen. Um, and at the same time, she is 
You can tell how stressed out she is in their interactions with her children. You know, it all connects. I think that's a very realistic portrayal of what someone deals with when they're dealing with their debt. So when you see clients come into your office, uh, their problems, is it fair to say they are multidimensional? Sure. They have a lot of things going on. Um, They may not always tell me all the things um, if they don't think it's related. But, you know, I know if you're struggling in one part of your life, it's not uncommon that it will be affecting other parts of your life and that only compounds the stress and the emotion. Um, So I have, you know, a lot of clients have difficult conversations with me where they're starting to cry. That happened to me this morning. You know, you just have to be as compassionate and understanding as you can. It's totally normal. I would too if I was in their shoes. So I totally get it. Yeah. And and of course, you want your clients to tell you everything. Is that correct? Yes. I mean, it dep- I don't need to know every single part of their life, but if it's at all related to, you know, their debt or their finances, then yes, I need to be aware of it. It's always worse if they hide things from me. And I mean, there have been occasions where someone has hid something from me just because they think it's better to do so. And often there's no problem with not with the information. As soon as I know, I'm aware of it. We disclose it. There's no issues. But there would have been an issue, continued to hide it, um, because then you're lying possibly on the petition or omitting information. So it's always, always better to be honest, answer the questions honestly and completely. You know, your attorney's not trying to be intrusive. We're trying to protect your interests. And sometimes it does sound like a little bit intrusive, the types of questions we're required to ask, but that's because we're trying to protect you, you know. Sure. And that's all part of the trade-off with the bankruptcy process, right? Your your client tells you in the court uh, completely and honestly and openly about their finances in exchange for the court uh, issuing the automatic stay and ultimately granting a discharge of those debts. Is, is that a good summary of that? That's exactly right. And they do ask a lot of information, um, a lot of personal information, but, you know, the law is written to make sure that the honest debtor, that's what they say in the code, is receiving the discharge. They're basically trying to weed weed out any bad people, which is not ever any of our clients, but that's the meaning behind the questions. You know, we didn't write the questions, the Congress did and the court did, you know, so we can't really control that. But that's the reasoning behind it. They're not trying to make you feel vulnerable or ashamed. Sure. They're just trying to make sure that everyone that's receiving the discharge is deserving of it. Right. It, it sounds like a, a terrific uh, opportunity for someone to, to get the help they need, to get that fresh start, right? That's uh, Chapter 7 bankruptcy. Yes, if it's appropriate for the person, absolutely. Right. Well, Megan, thank you very much for coming on the show. And if you want to give the phone number one more time for everybody, and then uh, we'll wrap this up. Sure. Uh, The phone number, the best number is 508-232-4633. Or you could email us at info at M-A-D-R-F. Terrific. Thank you again, Megan. Thank you. Megan Hurley, ladies and gentlemen, uh, Boston, Massachusetts, pro bono bankruptcy attorney, Uh, There you have it, gave some information of value to people, hopefully, that they can use and uh, think about as they uh, deal with their debts. So please join us next time as we continue to weave the dramatic yarns of Chelsea's story with the fabric of the law that combined to become the imperfect but authentic tapestry of life.
viewed through the immediacy of live theater. Thank you for listening. For additional resources and showtimes, connect with us at mommyarewepoor.com.